Welcome to the next episode of the Stream of Random Podcast. This is your host, Hacker Mike, and I'm back on my walks. Yes, I know you missed me. I missed you too. I really miss these walks. Oh my god. Alright. Well, I've been working on a whole bunch of things since we last talked. So I was just adjusting my microphone there. I hope I didn't mess everything up. Many things to list. A whole list of things I've been working on. But I think the most important thing I've been working on, besides just surviving, is contemplating the idea of the next step. So given all the things that you could do, given all the muscles that you could move, all the neurons that you could fire, which one is the next one to do? Here and now, in this situation. That's kind of what I was thinking about. That is a very good problem to contemplate. I also started reading Donald Knuth and his book on algorithms, and I realized that a program that evaluates another program, like a compiler, and the compiler itself, well, it takes one program in a programming language and it translates it into another programming language. And um, it does so using a hierarchical data structure called a tree. And the tree structure is represented as a series of nested structures. It's a union of nested structures. So it's one thing that could be many things. So the first thing it has is like a type code that tells you which of the next sub things it could be. And that's a union, so it's got all these different other structures that could possibly um, be stored in the same data block. So it's like the beginning of the data block would be some kind of flag or set of bits that tell you which of the many types of objects that follow. And that object will have a fixed set of fields. But each of those fields could also, in theory, be another set of objects to switch between. And that's the tree structure. So it's basically a hierarchical nested description that folds up into one object that could be any of the things. And what I have been dreaming about and thinking about all this time is describing these objects or describing how they're used, and so forth. I know I've been going through all these different steps and ideas, but now I think I've finally made some progress on this whole thought process. So first I thought, well, what if we used some kind of artificial life and we presented it like a bunch of bugs that we would breed 
with different algorithms to try different things, and they basically would take a uh, program and uh, do some kind of analysis on it. So you would feed it the description of a program, and it would do something with it. And that would change over time what it does. We're going to breed the best representation of them, or the best... Uh, the most fit of all of them. So basically you would have them fight against each other or compare them and rank them and then take the best. Okay. So what is the fitness? So we have basically the runtime and the memory usage of a program. And you can optimize for both of them. You can either use more memory or uh, more time. Those are your basic uh, choices as a compiler. And um, many different compilers will produce similar code. And there's a ton of optimizations that you can do. But um, basically, any structure that's in memory <clears throat> is just some quasi-random selection of attributes. Not all of them have to even be used in a given context, and each step of the compiler will look at one part of the tree and do something with it, manipulate it. Now if we had the source code to the compiler and then we had the source code of a program we want to compi uh, compile and we had a running compiler, we could basically interpret the the tree structure according to instructions that are in the tree structure. So you would basically, we could just basically imagine that a certain part of the compiler defines structures that are used in other parts. So we've got a core structure and then we have more details. And we could see them as function calls that each input structure is also a function call that takes parameters. So we could just say we have a function call that constructs some kind of memory. some kind of memory object, a lisp, lists, lists and lists and lists and lists, which are basically numbers of numbers of numbers. So basically what we have is we have arrays 
or yeah, they're arrays of numbers basically. And each struct is like a set of numbers, an array of them of a certain size. And each number is a field. And then we have other arrays that have descriptions of the fields. And we have other arrays that have descriptions of the different types of objects. So really we have lots of arrays of numbers of different shapes. And some of these arrays describe other arrays. Some of them give shape to others. So we have one set of arrays, let's call them the definitions, core tree functions. And those tell how all the other trees will be expressed, including themselves. And they can fully self-describe themselves. But it kind of gets more and more complicated but it can do it, it's just more and more expansion. And then we can compress all of that expansion down and evaluate it, do partial evaluations. So I think this could be expressed as a Haskell function. That would be pleasing. So the Haskell function is function f, and it takes source code from a program as an input and produces a binary executable as an output, or even it produces the actual execution. So it actually runs the program. Or it produces a partial evaluation of any step along the way of processing. Maybe it's missing some parameters before it could finally execute. So it'll basically take a program and either execute it and return a value along with runtime information, metadata, memory usage records, auditing everything, or it will stop at any point and can be stopped at any point. You just tell it stop it at the fifth step and then it will have all the information about that context and whatever's missing that would be needed to finish the compilation. And comp compiling is basically resolving the open questions that are blocking the compilation. And then we would have bots that would help it along the way and resolve questions, infer answers, analyze the data, and then we could train it train these steps as well. So like an optimizing execution where it monitors its own execution and improves upon itself. Kind of like self-aware, self-optimizing. But mathematically we always have to define our goals clearly. And this is kind of where we get into gradient descent and the gradients are where the arrows along a three-dimensional space or an n-dimensional space will kind of guide you towards an end. I guess this was relating to the halting problem as well.
So you gotta be able to trust your inputs and we don't know what inputs were fed. So just imagine a model of consciousness. Imagine a model of consciousness. Like a model of self-awareness. Like I'm aware of me walking across the street right now. And me talking into this microphone on my head. And I'm going for a walk. But I'm going to break my pattern of where I always walk. I'm going to walk someplace different today. Because that has more information. If I follow the same path, that is less information. Okay. So I'm at the college now. Oh, the moon is great. It's a harvest moon. We were watching the moon with a telescope last night, having a lot of fun. Me and my son. So. Yeah. My son said that some teacher was rude to him and it never happened before. I said that not every teacher is going to like you. Okay, so what do we do? So basically, we could optimize programs or interpret them. And one part of the, of the lists, so we have all these lists and we say that one part of the list controls another part of the list. One part describes another. Now if it's self-describing, then it will describe its own structure. So it can generate its own code. So I guess we would have a program that would generate code for execution. Well, we said we're going to have it execute itself, or it could generate code to be executed. I mean, obviously, we want to do that. want to uh, generate the code or ex directly execute it, interpret it, we'll be able to do both. I mean, that's the question of is it executed now or is it executed later? Can it be directly evaluated? And this gets into uh, unification in Prolog, where we unify with truth. <clears throat> and I was thinking about restarting my learning of Prolog. So I looked, what about machine learning and deep learning for Prolog? 
and they're saying that not much work has been done on that, but there is a machine learning set for um, logical proofs with some high-level logical data sets, and that machine learning can be learned, can say how likely something is to be true, it can generate names or come up with names, name things automatically, so that's pretty cool. Naming variables would be awesome. That's something I'm horrible at. Consistent variable naming. So that's something I could also do with what I'm working on with Python. Now I've been trying to train this thing on these huge data sets of all the different libraries that I'm using. But what I really want to do is I want to be able to run it on a single cell in um, in Jupyter Notebooks, where I have it evaluate the Jupyter Notebook, and for each cell, it would come up with suggestions or find code that is most similar to it in its database and show it to you, or even make suggestions. And it could do that on the AST level, the syntax tree level, or language nodes, we can call them. See, the whole idea here is that the idea here is that we have a series of samples of probabilities. So we're sampling programs and then we're going to look for similar samples or what would be the most likely next sample and we can train on that but I also think we don't need to use a neural network to train all of this we can also train it using other means so that's where I'm kind of getting always lost I guess maybe I'm too afraid to even do serious training or I'm not applying the right algorithms. So that's something I need to learn more about. So I'm kind of struggling with my fitness functions and my... But maybe deep learning isn't always the right approach for every problem. So, it's like, why would you pick one particular object to look at? I guess I'm wondering about training or the order of training. And maybe it doesn't matter which objects we train on. We have to basically train on all of them. So you have to present some information, and this gets into like input encoding and principal component analysis. What is the most, what contains the most variation? What captures the most variation? 
and putting that into order. So I guess we could also, if we know the variation of the objects in memory and which ones occur most, we could um, process them in, in more efficiently. These are just some ideas. I don't, I don't know for sure, but we're going to find out. So what I'm envisioning is that uh, we can rewrite some of these uh, tree structures and make them more compact. We don't need all the data all over the place. Not all of the memory is used and it might not even be necessary to have a full tree structure. We could replace, let's say if we're in, I don't know, a function body, I guess we might not need every single type of node inside of the function body. Like some things aren't even syntactically available so that we could shave off space by making optimized tree structures that um, only contain a certain certain configurations. And we talked about this actually on the podcast. We talked about how some of those configurations could be stored. We could know exactly how many types of nodes will occur and what their um, probabilities are and by scanning through them and understanding them and then use that information to create a more optimized compiler representation of the data. More optimized uh, memory representation. Like I'm thinking it could be much smaller using only a few bits of data instead of huge amounts of it. These tree structures are very generic. And we should be able to come up with more fine-tuned switch, switching statements that kind of model the language and also the style of the user. Um, so, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it should be possible. I said that before, and maybe it sounds like I'm not coherent at all. I'm just making up stuff as I go. Maybe. Now, I was thinking about that topic. That we have this reality tunnel, let's call it. Our current set of assumptions that we're cruising through life with.
that's our bubble or the what is it the false the set of false uh, narratives that are propagated through the internet that are our working set Thank you, it says. Thank you. Respect local residents. Dispose of trash properly. Keep noise levels sensible at all hours. Thank you. So they have this big sign at the exit of the, of the college here telling the students to respect the neighbors. change the one street that comes out of the university to a one way that goes in the other way so in the other direction so that the students can't just race up this street here I finally understand it I guess the neighbors have been complaining so yeah we could just generate random stuff based upon some prompt And then a meme would be something where the random stuff that's generated gets propagated and causes people to propagate it. So like a self-replicating idea. And I guess a compiler is like that. It could compile itself self-replicate itself. It can replicate other programs. So a compiler is kind of like a replicator in a way. We talked about this. And then the compiler that the different levels of the compiler that are needed. Different parts that are selected. parts that are needed. So really what we want is we want something that will read in the source code into these trees and then be able to generate the most probable tree structures based upon what? And what does that model look like? I guess this is getting into deep mind and graph embedding and all that, or vector embedding, series of 
nodes. And when I looked at this, um, when we looked at the um, BERT model, there was an explorer that you could look at the neural network, and they had all types of crazy visualization tools. They had like 15 different layers, and each word was mapped onto different uh, parts of the graph, different layers. It was pretty freaking crazy. Okay, well, this is crazy. I, obviously, I'm going to have to edit this, but I won't. Of course, I won't edit it. I'm just going to put it out there. Sorry, guys. I don't have to. I don't have to just deliver crap to everyone. I could curate better. Okay, well, I'm just going to roll with this. Sorry, guys. I was <laughs> watching American Splendor, and it's great. It's about the guy who has a comic book about his own life, and he works as a clerk in a hospital. It's actually quite funny. This is And it looks like uh, David Letterman had him on a bunch of times. <laughs> I don't know, it seems so familiar to me, actually, the David Letterman um, episodes. I don't know if I ever saw it before. But it's pretty epic. He's like this grumpy guy, doomy and gloomy, describing his life in a comic book as a writer. And the girl falls in love with him. Yeah. So, what's this all about? Coherence. Well, imagine if we could shape, if, if, if all of the objects were the same size. I mean, what's the even, why do we even need to have all the, all the objects the same size? Because you could switch between them. But how many places do we actually switch between them? Can that be optimized? Look at this. St. John Baptist Church open to vaccinated members and guests. I mean, that's just disgusting. I gotta take a picture of that. Alright. Well, I edited out some noise there. Oh my god. <sighs> yeah, that picture really disturbed me. So... So, so, so. Well, it is the stream of random. So you are getting something completely random, let me tell you. I like the sounds of the crickets and frogs in the background, though. And I took a different path today. The one that has more cars. Stupid me.
Well, it's just part of the show. So, yeah, the compiler is a replicator that takes some program and copies it in a certain way and transforms it in a certain way into another program, even though if it doesn't understand what the program is doing. I think that's a key important factor. The compiler doesn't know what the intent and purpose is of the input language. So, I guess optimizing the representation is just one thing. The, um, that's some gaudy green there. Seems kind of shady to me. Love that moon. It's 11 o'clock at night now. So yeah, we're just going to keep on this idea for a little bit, even if it's crazy. I mean, we've gone through the craziest things on this podcast. We've just gone over and gone deep into it. I don't think anyone has ever listened to any of it. But I remember it. I remember these thoughts. It's part of my thought process, okay? I'm just inviting you to join me on my thought process. Or be part of my thought process. <clears throat> so, basically, if we can eliminate some size, like these, these names, these strings, why do they even have to be <clears throat> in a node on their own, a string, or any integer constant, why does it have to be a bit, a single bit, takes up a huge information, amount of information, it just doesn't make any sense. Because in almost every case, I'm thinking that the amount of possible variables that could be used, possibilities can be reduced. We don't need to, to store hundreds of bytes just for one bit of information, one boolean. I'm pretty sure that we can replace them. <clears throat> we don't need a pointer to a, a generic node, we can use a pointer to a specific, spec specific. It could be a subset of nodes, just generic subset. We could have an explosion of different types of nodes. <clears throat> of different sizes. <clears throat> and then we could try and box them in and say, okay, well, all the things, all the things that are below this level have this size of nodes, and this, this is the distribution of them. Everything inside of this function body, it might just be return true, you know? Like, how many functions are just return true, return false, return zero, just some stub? And can't I just use some 
simple representation for that and say, oh, well, that's the most probable object is the Boolean. The bit, the byte, two bits, three bits. So I think we could definitely work on optimizing that structure somehow. So that we say, um, we change the code in the compiler to say, it works generically on objects that has these properties, like a class, an interface, and that interface could be reduced in scope. And then we could exclude some possibilities even because we know that in this input data there's they only use a subset of the language now each object that we're describing I mean okay if we're creating generic structures we're talking about generic things like trees it's also relatively wide and open an if has an if and a then else block. Those can be anything, but they're not always anything. I mean that's the problem here. We're saying that the if the if block the condition could be anything, but it's not. It's not anything. It's only the things that are in the if conditions. And that's a smaller set of objects than all of them. So we can look at the compiler and the different blocks and it's like, well, if it's this type, else it's this type, switching on their types, handling cases, and then it's like otherwise, say invalid, we don't expect that type to be here. But can't we just eliminate those totally, automatically? Can we automate this system and reduce the size of the compiler data? Can compress it down, maybe? Reduce the dimensionality, the scope? Look for patterns and replace them. Compress it and zip it. Normalize it. Come up with a better representation. One that can be equivalently transformed into the old form. What about also including the source code? Like, could we include, could we annotate the source code to include the types 
the node information. Like, expand it into a bunch of object calls. Some YAML that represents the program, but in a nice way. What is it called? Protobufs. We use protobufs. With or generate custom structures. Oh boy, this is really just coming up with rehashing old ideas. But what do we know? Well, what I've been thinking about is that every bit of code is basically an output from some person or system. Some kind of output, some kind of data, some kind of byte string representation. Now I went through and I got the tokens and I'm able to say what the source lines are of the, AS, of the ASTs, that's good. And found common source lines. I started to look at which ones are referenced the most. So some of these things are like file handles or something. I'm not exactly sure what each node is doing and why some of them are referenced so many times. But I'm starting to think that there's, some of them are called um, decorators. And that these decorators are used all over the place. So yeah, if we could actually take, load all the source code and then crunch it down into a form that's understandable, and that could be used to produce new, better source code. I think that's kind of what the task is. Maybe generate new Python classes that contain all the knowledge of how these things are used in an easy to understand documented form. Like it might just be some statistical data. It's like this is the most probable case, second most probable case, third most probable case, in that order. And then inside of that, what's the next one? Could we make it somehow readable and usable? We could try different representations. I guess they're all equivalent. We could try and tune it and make it nice. Maybe even with colors. Like an editor. Like show the source code, but also annotate them with colors, what the different nodes are, and then be able to hover over it or have some kind of HTML where it's marked up with all the information hidden but available. Like an annotated, marked up uh, source code. It contains full knowledge, including, let's say, probabilities of execution, samples from how it's being used, 
Now, what would it look like if you're looking at the tree structures, though? Like, how are they being used? It also depends on what you're sampling. So. But in the end, these are programs that are going to run. So we should be able to also execute them. Translate them into runnable programs. We talked about that just before. Okay, guys. Well, I think that's good enough for tonight. I'm heading home. I'll talk to you next time.